Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Storing more carbon dioxide in our soils is a great way to fight back against climate change. Now, if we can capture more carbon and store it in our soils, well, that will help reduce CO2 emissions. And agriculture has a really important role to play in it, as does better managing the existing forests across our planet. Plus, ways to help improve the uptake of nitrogen in farming from fertilizer and make sure that nitrogen doesn't run off and escape and cause further damage to the environment. One of the key focuses in climate change is discussion around CO2, carbon dioxide, and how much CO2 is going into the atmosphere. And often, a lot of fingers get pointed at things like agriculture, especially because agriculture can lead to a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, not just CO2, but methane as well. But agriculture can have a really, really important role to play in not only helping feed the planet, but also actually by helping reduce carbon dioxide levels. And that's because we can actually sequester carbon back into the soils. And not we can because of technology or some fancy machine. No, no, no. Actually doing so by growing certain types of crops can also greatly improve the soil's fertility, get better yields, make sure we use less pesticides or make the crops more resilient. And it can even reduce the concentration of CO2 in our atmospheres. All of this sounds a lot like a win-win. And that's exactly why the four per thousand initiative was created. Now, this was launched as part of COP21 all the way back in 2016, which was a meeting of all the members of the UN climate change panels and the member nations and signatories all met together. And one of the initiatives that came out of that was this four per thousand. And the whole goal of four per thousand is to get to an annual growth rate of 0.4% of carbon stored inside the soils, which is about a 4% increase per year in the first 30 to 40 centimetres of soil. And just doing that small amount would significantly reduce the carbon dioxide concentrations in our atmosphere. It would mostly actually basically help offset a lot of human impacts related to agriculture. It doesn't help with methane, but it certainly helps with carbon dioxide emissions. It also really helps boost the crops as well because it gives more carbon into the soil and makes the soil healthier. Now, how are people looking to do this? Well, obviously by reducing deforestation helps keep organic matter into the ground by also giving trees that can help produce and suck in carbon dioxide and store it down in the ground. But also it can go a bit more deeper than that. For example, not leaving bare soil and work it less to limit the carbon losses. But scientists and researchers from UC Davis have been actually finding ways to help greatly boost crop yields and at the same time significantly increase the amount of carbon stored inside the soil. So basically by actively farming and farming really well, you can actually get a two for one benefit. And they did this through another great recycling method and that is compost. Now, all of this came together as the end results of a 19-year-long research project that's undergoing at a UC Davis facility, the Russell Ranch Sustainable Agriculture Facility. And at the Russell Ranch, they've got a long-running study which involves different types of crop areas being grown and, and managed and harvested, and they include corn, tomato, and wheat. And they've been doing this long, longitudinal study. And on some of these different areas, they've been comparing different methods. 
And they do this through a number of different methods. They have a couple of control areas that are effectively conventional farms with a fallowing system, but they also have cover crops as well. And cover crops are crops that you plant in the off season to make sure that the soil doesn't erode and to keep the soils healthy. But they also had a third type of crop to sort of a counter as well. And that's something that has both a cover crop on it and is fed with compost. And the point of all of this is to sort of compare how much carbon and how much yield improvement you can get out of the different crop and harvesting methods. And that's what researchers have published their results in the journal Global Change Biology. And the lead authors include Nicole Tartus, Jessica Charitas and Kate Scow. Now these, were in, now these scientists were investigating basically which of these different methods used in agriculture are more or less effective. And the results are actually pretty outstanding. Now conventional farming methods with fallowing doesn't actually store or release much carbon. The soil isn't super healthy, but it also tends to lose some of that carbon at the same time. Now cover cropping a conventional soil will actually greatly increase the carbon in the first 12 inches. So near the surface, you get a lot more carbon stored there. But when you examine even deeper down, like a couple of meters, you'll actually find that the carbon has been drawn up from there up into that top layer. So the overall net effect is actually you're losing carbon from the area. But if you undertake both cover cropping and using compost on that soil, you actually increase the amount of carbon content stored in that soil by 12% or equates to around 0.07% annually. That's almost double this IPCC COP21 initiative for per 1,000. So that's a huge improvement just by using compost and cover cropping. But why does that happen? What actually causes the compost and the cover croppings to work so much more effectively? Now, many studies have been investigating for many years now, cover crop systems actually help store carbon. And that's certainly true, but not in the overall picture. When you examine the soil all the way down, you don't actually find the carbon balance overall improving. It sort of just shifts it from one spot to another. Yeah, if you're looking just to the top, it seems like there's more carbon there, but the overall amount of carbon stored actually decreases. Now, one of the reasons is that carbon has to filter through soil microbes in order to get into a stabilized form. And that stabilized form of carbon can then reside inside the soil for a long period of time. Now, compost helps provide carbon, but it also gives, importantly, some additional vital nutrients to the microbes that live inside the soil. And these microbes can then feed off some of the nutrients in the compost, help store carbon, but also keep the soil super healthy and rich. A lot of the time you think about compost and helping improve the yield of the crop planted atop of it, but actually it also helps just improve the health of the soil and helps it store more carbon as well by keeping all those microbes living in the soil super happy. When, when their diet of nutrients is out of balance, the microbes have to go looking elsewhere to try and find it. And they actually mine it from existing soil organic matter, which means that you end up losing carbon from this situation. So cover cropping is great, but it ends up just shifting the carbon from one place to another. And adding in the compost gives those microbes the food that they need to do their job of chowing down and storing and stabilizing that carbon. Not only putting more carbon into the soil, which helps improve crop yield, but it also actually helps 
greatly increase the amount of carbon sucked out of the atmosphere and stored safely into our soil. So this result shows just how compost can greatly help farmers and also the environment by offsetting greenhouse gas emissions and transform waste products from animal and food products into valuable things that the soil needs that boost crop yield and helps our planet meet its climate goals. This is some great work from the University of California, Davis, including lead authors Nicholas Tartas, Jessica Chauchas and Kate Scow. Now one of the most significant ways of capturing and storing carbon in our soil is of course through trees and forests. In North America, forests account for an estimated 76% of carbon sequestration, the removal of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and storing it into the soil. But researchers from Purdue University, including Songling Fei, as well as Forest Service scientists from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, like Randallin Morin, Chris Oswalt and Andrew Leopold, have been investigating all of the trees across the United States. In fact, 92,978 different field samples as part of the Forest Service Forest Inventory and Analysis Program. And by that, they've been looking at one particular problem. Now, we know that trees are great at capturing and storing carbon. But when a tree dies, there's a big problem. Because actually, the tree then falls to the ground and decays on the forest floor. And as that tree decays, that carbon trapped inside that tree is slowly over time released back into the atmosphere. And that is something that is quite concerning. Because you see, trees are dying at an increasing rate in the US forests, particularly because of the rise of invasive species. Now, one of the issues that's been plaguing the US Forestry Service at the moment is all of these non-native species of insects coming in into the forests, around 430 of them to be precise that they've catalogued. And some of these have no effect on the forest. They just join in the rest of the critters chowing down on the trees and being part of the forest ecosystem. But 83 of those species have been causing noticeable damage to the trees inside these forests. And this impact of these tree damaging species isn't just sad because they're killing a tree, it's also a big deal. Because these insects, such as the emerald ash borer or the gypsy moth or the hemlock woolly adelgid, and other diseases that they bring with them like Dutch elm disease, beech bark disease and laurel wilt, they're actually leading to more and more of these forests getting thinned out. Up to 41% of the total live forest biomass in the continuous United States is under threat from these different invasive species. And that's really important because these forests are a huge carbon sink, not just for North America, but for the globe as a whole. So understanding the rate of the impact of these invasive species and the rate at which they're killing trees is important to understand. Now, of course, when a tree dies and falls to the ground, it doesn't just immediately spit out all that carbon dioxide, but it occurs gradually. But the total amount of carbon in these dead materials is quite substantial. It's equivalent to around 4.4 million cars, or another way to look at it, the carbon emissions from nearly one-fifth of all wildfires in the United States annually. 
So it's a big deal as a carbon source if it's not better managed. And understanding the impact of invasive species is always important because we've known for a long time that invasive species can displace other native populations of species, but it can also have huge problems for the actual plants themselves that support in the ecosystem. And if it kills off trees, that can lead to much larger climate problems as well. So some great work published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences that helps outline through collaboration with the, the US Forestry Service to better understand the climate and carbon dioxide emission impacts of saving the forests. Because if we can keep those forests happy and healthy, well then we can not only save our planet by reducing carbon dioxide emissions, but we can help store more carbon in our soils. This is some great work from Purdue University and the US Forestry Service. One of the most significant inventions of the 20th century was the Haber-Bosch process. Now this enabled the planet to feed itself because without this there wouldn't have been enough land to grow all the food that the world needs. Quite simply just to harvest the 1900 level crop in the year 2000 would have needed almost all arable land, nearly half of all ice-free continents to be farmed rather than the small poultry 15% of that that we need today. And that's because the Haber-Bosch process helped make fertilizer efficiently and cheaply. Yes, there are climate impacts. For example, the leachings of these nitrogen back into the soil and into the atmosphere has led to more greenhouse gases like CO2 and methane being produced as both part of the process and leaching out into the environment. But it has meant that we're able to at least feed the planet. But the investigations of the different types of fertilizers and how efficient they are is also the next step in that journey. Because whilst we had at the turn of the century a great way to just simply feed the planet, now we're worried about feeding the planet in a sustainable way that's not going to cause more damage to the environment. So how exactly can you do that? So a team of scientists from the UC So a team of scientists from the University of California Davis campus have published a study in the journal Earth's future that identifies five key strategies for helping improve the use of fertilizers as we move forward into the next century. And this includes applying fertilizers more precisely, getting nitrogen the key part of the fertilizer to where it's needed the most, and removing all that excess nitrogen pollution from the environment, plus reducing food waste and making consumers of course think about more sustainable food problems. Now, the thing is, you can't just focus on any one of these strategies. You have to make it a more broader approach. The problem for people who don't have access to fertilizer to grow food is a significant issue for them to be able to feed themselves. But also, having too much fertilizer in an area causes all other kinds of problems as well. So balancing out and solving the problem with too little and too much is very important. And one of the big problems with fertilizer is that it's quite expensive because it requires a big industrial process typically to make it. Which means for farmers in sub-Saharan Africa and certain areas of Latin America, it's just too expensive for them to get good access to it. Even government subsidies aren't sufficient. And at the moment, there isn't actually a strategy to help get nitrogen to the right places that need it in these nitrogen-poor regions where the soil is just deteriorating. 
but also having too much nitrogen and which is used currently as fertilizer and the problem for those that do have access to fertilizer the farmers that can afford to get it and have it also end up using way too much of it which leads to further problems for the environment and that's where technology or refinements come in come into play it's things like slow release fertilizers which time and gradually eke out the nitrogen over time rather than just dumping it all at once or things like fertigation mixing a fertilizer into the irrigation water that the farmer is using or maybe even things like new sensors and drones that help boost the nitrogen uptake of the plants the problem is these are all expensive solutions for farmers and you need to give someone a reason to go out of the way to invest in that expensive infrastructure up front it's a bit like getting someone to buy their first electric car now there's ways to suck out excess nitrogen from runoff for example with buffers strips and specific trap areas and growth areas around rivers and floodplains, which can help not only improve the local environment but also act as nitrogen sinks drawing nitrogen in from the rivers downstream of farms making sure that excess fertilizer runoff doesn't do any more damage to subsequent downstream ecosystems so all of these different strategies can help target and focus the use of fertilizer and make them more efficient and reduce the impact of it but without a global nitrogen strategy, with all the focus on CO2, we can actually be overlooking another key aspect of our climate change problem. And that is not just feeding the planet, but making sure in the process of feeding the planet, we're actually not doing more harm to the environment overall. This is some great work by the University of California Davis to outline different strategies that can be taken moving forward to help address and solve some upcoming climate problems. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From better capturing carbon and keeping it in the ground through better farming practices, along with helping keep our forests healthy to capture that carbon, and better using fertiliser to keep the nitrogen cycle safe and stable. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia. <laughs>